You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. Battles loom large over the definitions of inerrancy and infallibility. What do these terms really mean when it comes to specific verses? For instance, some will say it's an error when the Bible uses round numbers for how many in a tribe or for the number of people killed in a battle, when the text uses specific numbers in other places, or when one gospel account has Jesus calling for a single donkey be brought to him, he says, bring it to me, when the other says a donkey and a foal of a donkey, and he says, bring them to me. Or they'll cite the last two verses of Second Chronicles, which duplicates the opening verses of Ezra exactly, but cuts off the command of Cyrus mid-sentence, losing the gist of his command. Obviously, God didn't inspire the writer of Chronicles to do that. There was an error in transmission over the centuries, and part of Ezra was copied into Chronicles. I've heard good theologians say, and I tend to agree, that Scripture is accurate and dependable enough for the purpose for which it's intended. But to insist that every word, every description, every story is perfect down to the molecular level leads to unnecessary controversies. It's a great question. Uh, the inerrancy errancy issue is uh, never going to go away as long as we're on this planet. So let me start with a couple of passages. Let's start with, and, and many of you know these already, let's start with Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired. Theophanoustus is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, and also in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So let's use these two as a framework. So in Second Timothy chapter 3, 16, all scripture is God breathed. That word is is a huge word for theologians and Bible students. That God moved men to write these things. And in Timothy's, it was Paul's writing the younger Timothy. He's saying, look, the Bible is your proof, is your authority for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. And he continues, so the man of God might be adequate equipped for every good work. So this is our authority. This is our baseline. That's why it's so important. What Peter adds to this, which is a beautiful passage in verse 21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved, uh, obviously it's from one place to another, but there's some extra biblical uses of that term that talk about a boat that the the water moves the boat in the sense that the water fills the sail the rudder of course guides it but the idea is the holy spirit moved a person to do this so in our sanctified imagination we have the authorial style paul isaiah whatever author you want to look to, we, we see style, we see word choice, we find uh, similar ideologies, the way they write, but it's the big A author, God, the little A author, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, Luke, or whomever. So that's our baseline. We start with inerrancy there. Now, secondly, when we talk about errors in the Bible, um, on the one hand, we do have some transmission errors. Now, before you get all upset that I Michael said the Bible has errors. There are transmission errors. We'll talk about that in some detail. The autographs, what was originally written, was without error. 
and there are layers of views on inerrancy. Uh, we use this cumbersome definition, verbal plenary inspiration, meaning the words in their fullness is a simple way to define that. Uh, guys like John R. Rice believed in like a dictation theory, that God told them exactly what to write. Uh, and some of these other inerrancy views can be a little uh, complex and a little bit overwrought, but we like the word verbal inerrancy. The, the words were inspired by God. The fullness of the meaning, the fullness of the word is inspired by God, but we have to acknowledge there is authorial style. Now, transmission errors did occur. Let me give you uh, from Paul N's book, which is, by the way, I encourage folks to have a single volume commentary on the Bible, a single volume theology book on the Bible. So, uh, for example, the Bible Knowledge Commentary by Dallas Seminary, which actually two volumes. Uh, Moody has a single volume Bible commentary. Holman has a single volume Bible commentary. And then in the theology range, uh, you've got uh, Paul N's, which is a great single volume book by uh, Moody Press. You've got uh, Floyd Barackman. You've got a guy named Walter Elwell in the Reform Camp. And these single volume theology books are so helpful. I have several uh, from different traditions because it's it's a quick way to go look something like this up. In ends, he gives a list, and I'm just going to scan a couple of these bullets because they're helpful for me. Um, inerrancy does not demand verbatim reporting of events. You don't have to have a verbatim report. In times of antiquity, it was not the practice to give a verbatim repetition every time something was written out. Verbatim quotation could not be demanded for several reasons. And he lists some I won't detail. Secondly, inerrancy allows for departure from standard forms of grammar. Obviously, he writes, it is wrong to force English rules of grammar upon the scripture. For example, John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Whereas in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In English, this would be considered a mixed metaphor, but it's not a problem in Greek grammar or in the Hebrew language. So all he's pointing out there is, and I often bring this out in my teaching, one of the challenges we have reading the Bible is we're trying to think from a Western mindset grid. We need an outline. We need a purpose statement. We need a thesis clause if you're a person who loves literature. And to think the way the New Testament coin in Greek was penned, to think about Hebrew mindset, we have to understand uh, some of these things don't translate, no pun intended, into our Western mind. A third bullet he observes, inerrancy allows for problem passages. Even so, this vast work of the scriptures, it's impossible to provide solutions for all the problems. And I'm reminded we interviewed um, Mark Chevalis, who he had a great observation. Don't, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He, that's a good that's a good illustration of uh, transmission. See, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving a literal quote. Yeah. But to paraphrase him, he says, you know, don't come to the Bible uh, expecting an answer for a question you have of that passage what is that passage telling us? And that's just a simple recalibration of how we look at the Bible. Uh, and then fourth ends concludes, inerrancy demands the account does not teach error or contradiction. 
So back to your question, uh, where there's a difference between uh, ending in a chapter or numbers, let's give the text room to breathe in the sense that uh, maybe that was not the critical case. It was 23,000 or 24,000. Uh, I read and stumbled across this this weekend. I was so excited. Uh, I was privileged to have Dr. Norman Geisler as a professor 100 years ago when I was in seminary. But what they've done on this site called Defending Inerrancy, and we'll give you the link on the show notes, he's got a pull-down menu of every book of the Bible with the problem passages. Amazing. It's cool. And so you just go like to Second Chronicles, click on it, and then it gives you links to other things he's written. And he actually has the answer to this question in Numbers 25.9. What does this verse say about... 24,000 who died when 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 8 offers a different number and he gives a really good answer and I'm going to let you look it up on your own. I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, But the point is don't project on the text some of our presuppositions. Uh, A little homework helps and goes a long way in understanding that. I do want to circle back and, and underscore inerrancy is so important because if the Bible is full of error then we can't look at it authoritatively. And to sort of round this conversation off, and, you know, when Jesus cites a number of passages in the, in the Bible to talk about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, when the, the New Testament authors refer to the Bible, they're talking about the Old Testament. There was no question in the New Testament writers' minds that the Old Testament was without error. The problem is when we force our view of uh, there's no mistakes in the Bible. Well, there are transmission errors. There are copyist errors. And when a human being copied the Bible, he made mistakes. We know this from the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example. One of my professors at Dallas, who is also with the Lord, uh, Dr. Harold Honer, said we have 120% of the evidence when it comes to New Testament documents. <laughs> uh, so when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, uh, let's just use an illustration. Did it say the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus? The kingdom of God in Christ? The kingdom of Christ? Hmm. Let's just use that as an illustration. So as we looked at those different shards, uh, pieces and fragments, which one was right? And there's all sorts of higher critical theory about these fragments. And the simplest one is what I call the harder is the better. So the harder reading, the shorter reading, was more than likely the accurate transmission. Think about it. If you're copying the Bible and you go, you know, it'd be really helpful if I put in Christ Jesus in there. Maybe it was subconscious when the the, uh, scribes were making that transmission copy. Maybe it was intentional. We don't know. But the point is, do any of those lead to a different theology? No. So we have a lot of information in the New Testament particularly. We have to pair some of it back. And if you have a study Bible or a Bible with cross-references, it will always say some of the better manuscripts say or some manuscripts omit this part. The most, the most pointed one is the end of Mark. And that's, where, of course, where we get the whole idea of snake handling. If you look at Mark chapter 16, the final chapter, most Bibles will have a notation that these verses, let me, let me look at mine and, and show you exactly what it says. Um, I said that now. It's not going to be here. Here it is. 
So I, I'm reading a New American Standard Center Column Reference Bible. And in Mark chapter 16, there's a notation at verse, uh, at verse 20. And it says, A few late manuscripts, MSS, manuscripts and versions containing this paragraph, usually after verse 8. A few have it at the end of the chapter. And this, this whole section from verse 9 to verse 20 is more than likely not part of Scripture. Ah. (laughs) Uh, but you'll see a note in your bible and there's all kinds of uh, very uh, laborious reasons about why it's included so for grins i'm curious i have this big new american standard bible it's got 1200 and let's say 50 some pages in it if you took all of the really problematic text including mark 16 they probably fit on about three pages of your bible so we're not talking about you know tons of transmission errors or tons of manuscript errors. And so the reliability is all the more reinforced. Uh, there are more errors in copies of, uh, of Plato's Republic than there are in the Bible when you look at the corpus of literature and how old the transmission is. So it's a great question. There are some transmission errors, and there are some questions. And there are also some really good answers, and I would steer you to defending inerrancy uh the norm geisler page and they've done a great job uh handling some of these difficult passages that there's some reasonable explanations for some of these questions if you've got a question for ask dr e call us or text us at 615-281-9694 or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com we would love to hear from you Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.